really grateful for you all to be here. Uh, this is the second, it's part two of how can we better follow Jesus during this election season. Um, and I really wanted to do this series because I think that we're being resourced by um, our culture and by media and the news uh, in regards to this election, but we're not always remembering to find the rich resources that the church has to offer, uh, whether that's through the sacraments or good theology or just talking in Christian community. Uh, so that's why we're here, because I think our faith uh, needs to intersect and inform everything that we do, and that includes our politics and how we even think about politics in general. And first, we started by talking with a political science professor, and today we're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Brian Lugioyo from Azusa Pacific Seminary, and he's a theologian. Um, he's a professor of theology and ethics and is one of my favorite professors from seminary, so I'm really excited to have him here. Um, and he's going to come from a theologian's perspective, and I think that's really going to be helpful for us as we consider um, our discipleship in, in light of being discipled by this election. Um, so I wanted to lay down a couple of ground rules. This I, just a reminder, whether we agree or disagree, uh, we'll always be respectful um, and kind to one another. Uh, and then this isn't a partisan discussion, and so we're not going to have a partisan debate. Um, and then some ground rules for Zoom etiquette. Please keep yourself on mute, though during the Q&A time, uh, it will be more discussion-based. And so you can unmute yourself when you're asking a question or if you have a comment. And how it will work is me and Brian will have a conversation for about 40 minutes uh, and then we'll invite the group to join in. Um, and during that conversation, uh, if you need to move or there's distracting things in your background, then you can stop sharing your screen. We would appreciate that. Um, and I think, I think that's it for now. So I'm going to go ahead and pray uh, to get us started, uh, and then me and Brian will start the conversation from there. So please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your lordship in our lives, for leading and guiding us through the storms and trials we face. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and thus want our hearts, minds, bodies, communal life, and even our political participation to be submitted to you. Where we have held onto hate, please sow forgiveness. Where we have been blind to truth, give us new insight. Where we have forgotten to care for the most vulnerable, lead us into a new solidarity. And where we have made idols out of men and women, remind us of your power displayed on the cross. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon the United States and upon all nations struggling to navigate these times. Please show us how to live faithfully in your kingdom above all else. Amen. Um, so, Brian, thank you so much for being here. I know a lot about you because I had you as a professor, but everyone here doesn't, and I'm wondering, why are you here? Kind of what's your background and why are you interested in this conversation? Thank you, Nikki. And, and thank you, Santa Barbara Church here at 
I'm a free Methodist ordained free Methodist. So I'm, uh, I'm part of the family of free Methodists and, and served on the, the Meg board with, with Ray and, and others um, there in Santa Barbara. Why I'm, I'm a theologian, I've got three kids. I, I teach theology and ethics here at Azusa Pacific Seminary. Uh, before that, I taught at Spring Arbor University, another free Methodist institution. And why I'm interested in this conversation is because I've, I've looked at what Facebook looks like and, and what Instagram looks like right now. And, and, and it's really troubling and, and sad and emotional, right? Uh, I think the church, uh, the way in which we engage uh, this political season within everything else that's going on um, is, is, I think, concerning, concerning. And so I think this is, that what you're doing, hosting these conversations, is so important uh, for the life of the church in this time. So I appreciate you doing this, Nikki. Um, yeah, and so that's why, that's why this topic concerns me. Great, well, thanks, Brian. And again, we're really glad that you're here. Um, so as a theologian, um, we've discussed that's your background. And so you care about Christian theology, talk about God throughout the ages. Um, and what we think about God matters for how we live our life. And so I think one of the most important theologies that has changed my life is just thinking about Jesus Christ as Lord and also thinking about the kingdom of God and trying to live in the kingdom of God. But I know that for some people, uh, A, maybe they don't totally understand what that means or B, they don't understand how that relates to uh, engaging with politics in the world. Um, so I'd love just kind of your thoughts about, as Christians, how is a theology of the kingdom of God, of Jesus Christ as Lord, helpful for us as we navigate um, national politics? Uh, it's very helpful. <laughs> it's very, extremely, extremely helpful, right? Because somewhere along the lines um, in, in, in Christian history, and, and Helen can probably speak to this more maybe next week when you're talking with her. Um, the idea, and this is probably more modern, the idea that the church isn't a political body, at least in the US, and then we, so we don't talk about politics, uh, makes it so that what religion is or, or Christianity is, is a wholly private individual kind of sphere of life and politics is something public. The, the problem with that is that the gospel is, the scriptures are uh, political. These are political texts, right? Uh, the gospels tell us about the kind of the initiation of kind of, or the return of God's reign. Um, and, and, and reading these texts help us understand that that's also the center of his teaching, of Jesus's teachings, the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. And when we're thinking about politics, we, we can't just abdicate to national politics. Uh, as the church, it's really important to understand that we are a political body with a king, that our worship is political, that every time we gather, we, we swear allegiance to the Lord, um, our God, and that uh, though we are in America uh, and, and have to vote and participate as citizens in the, in the like, uh, 
our primary allegiance is kingdom first, right? Uh, seek the kingdom first. So we are a political body. Jesus is, is political. He is crucified in many, in many respects because he's a threat to other kingdoms. And so there is this also revolutionary um, thread about being a disciple that has often been neglected, particularly in, I think, in the U.S. And so it's really important to kind of remember the aspects, the teaching, the centrality of the gospels around the kingdom of God, and that we are participating in that. And, and that gives us a lot of hope, right? That, that's a lot of hope uh, that we have, because our future is in the Lord of Lords. It's secure. Uh, it's founded in his reign. And it's not dependent on who is in power nationally. That doesn't matter. Um, the kingdom politics has been initiated and will be uh, culminated. And so that gives us a lot of hope. And, and so when I see Christians, you know, panicking uh, and really fearful about national politics, I think that needs to be kind of um, calibrated a bit better, reminding that, look, uh, it's the Lord's kingdom first. And, and we, need to we need to be sure that we're participating uh, in that kingdom uh now and not something you know yeah i think i think that that hits some of the uh some of the question no definitely and i wonder could you even describe because again for some people to think of the church as a political body um as a public body that might be new for them is there an example of a practice that the church does that maybe we traditionally think of maybe only individually, but that actually can be considered a political act. And could you just maybe pick one or two examples of how the church engages politically or publicly uh, for people who maybe have never thought of this before? Well, the, the term worship uh, and this, and Nikki, I think you have ideas here too, so you can jump in obviously. Uh, the term worship is a political term, but to, today for us, when we think of worship, we think of kind of maybe styles of worship, we think of music, we think of liturgy, but worship really is best defined by kind of service and obedience. Uh, and, and, and somewhere along the lines, worship took on this more kind of stylistic. Uh, and so when I worship, I'm singing or, or doing praise. Uh, but worship is about service and obedience. So our, our worship, our, our kneeling, our postures um, are political. It's, it's aligning ourselves with, with Jesus. So that's just kind of a broad understanding of worship. Uh, I see you've got the church calendar behind you, right? Uh, and so in, in, the ch I mean, in one practice that uh, in the Protestant world, it's not as popular as in other uh, Christian denominations, um, is, is being timed, right? Uh, how we're timed. So right now, if you were to look at that calendar and looked at November, the first week of November, you're not going to find election day, all right? You're not going to find election day on that calendar. What you will find um, at the last Sunday uh, of November right before Advent, the last Sunday in the church kind of calendar is Christ the King, right? Uh, 
I think it was Pope Pius XI in 1925 after World War I and with concerns of secularization and, and just everything that was going on, he, he initiated this, this act of worship. He's like this, this festival. What we need is to recenter ourselves in not the, the, the politics and things that's going on in the world, but we need to worship and have maybe a, a moment on the calendar fixed where we recognize in particular, in, in a special way, that Christ is the King. And so, I mean, this was in some ways his response. What do we do to be participants of this kingdom? We need to remember that our worship is, is around a king. Now, what does this kingdom look like? Uh, and, and how do we participate in that? That's, that's manifold, as, as manifold as the parables are. Um, but also, it's demonstrated by the way in which Jesus lived, right? So if you want to know the character of the kingdom, you, get, you should know the character of the king, right? And so by knowing the character of the king, you get to get a flavor for what kingdom life is like. And so when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, can we sit at your right and left in your kingdom? And he says, well, you don't know what you're asking. Because what they're asking for is to be uh, kind of on, on, the, on the cross on two sides of Jesus. Because the culmination of, of kingship for Jesus is that, that ironic moment where he is crowned and the placard is put above him, the king of the Jews, right? And, and, and this is what the reign looks like. The reign does not look like uh, tanks and, and military power, how we think of kingdoms. We really like to think of like kind of strength, uh, somebody who's been working out or something like that. Um, but it's, it's by suffering and weakness. And so even in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, what you have is, in some sense, a kingdom manifesto saying that this kingdom is going to be run by the meek, by peacemakers, right? But in, in this kind of least of these, this is how this hidden kingdom that's like a mustard seed will grow. It's not going to grow by coercion. We're not going to lord it over them, rather, but it is this kind of servant's obedience, uh, loving the least, and peacemaking, um, et cetera, et cetera. So when we are doing, serving the least of these, we are in, engaged in kingdom politics, right? When we are loving one another, when we are forgiving one another, repenting of our sins, we're doing kingdom work because we're trying to initiate in this kingdom of peace, forgiveness, and love that Jesus demonstrated um, in his life, uh, ministry, death, uh, and resurrection. Thanks, Brian. I mean, I just find that this is so hopeful, um, that this is where our allegiance lies. This is the kingdom that we live in, that we participate in. Um, and yet at the same time, I know that sometimes people could misunderstand maybe what you're saying, maybe it is what you're saying, that we only then live in, in God's kingdom. And again, our primary allegiance is to our Lord Jesus Christ and our primary preoccupations are the preoccupations of the kingdom, which is modeled by Jesus, our king. Um, but at the same time, there is an election that's happening and it matters for people. Um, and oftentimes it matters maybe for mostly for people who don't have power or who have been historically um, disempowered. So how do you, 
how do you kind of balance that or speak to that? And we, we did speak with Dr. Covington last week and his whole perspective is a political science perspective. So already he's not, it was wonderful. He's always going to be participating in the political sphere. So yeah, kind of how do you address that tension or how would you answer that? Yeah, think about what aspect of that question to tackle. And, and yes, we are, we are having an election. Um, and so it's a way of having voice in the political sphere. Uh, democracy, I, th I think it, it means for, for Christians, all right? So again, for Christians and, and maybe also for Wesleyans, it's important to have also understand some of the history that there's this idea, I think for Christians, of, of America as a Christian nation founded on Christian principles. Um, this, this republic, I mean, this kind of democratic republicanism uh, that was started in the kind of 18th century. But John Wesley and other, every other kind of continental Christian leader thought that republicanism was tied to anti-Trinitarianism, right? So that there's this sense of um, democracy, at least the kind of um, rule by the mob democracy that was kind of thought uh, about in the 18th century in this way that, that was concerning to Christian leaders about the way in which the colonies were organizing under this, in many ways, enlightenment, anti-authoritarian kind of uh, system. So I think it's interesting to kind of know some of that going in because what developed is not necessarily what those Christian leaders thought democracy would be, but it was an attempt to have an argument around the common good, okay? And that voting was one way to participate in that argument. And, and there have been better instances in American history, and I'm not an American historian, but there's been better instances where that argument um, has been sustained around the common good uh, than it is today. So when voting is part of that argument and the argument continues, that's a good thing. I think that's, that's, that's part of an understanding that, as, as human beings, people creating the image of God, we wanna have a say in the way in which um, public life plays out, right? And the way in which justice is enacted. Those are good things. Uh, today, I think, and others have seen kind of the demise of that, the, that dem democracy, that principle of argument, right? And so that now what you have it, in many ways is a view that your vote is a way to coerce the other, the minority. And so a vote is kind of 51% of the population telling 49% of the population how things are going to be. And they treat the vote as a referendum, as if the argument no longer has to be made for the common good. Um, and, and so I think you, you see some of that playing out in the way, I mean, our political rhetoric um, on TV, and online, uh, and, and so policies, even ideas of what the common good are, are just not being even discussed. It's just that we're so polarized. So 
in that climate, what, ha what, what could be a, a democracy and, and, and the sustained argument means that uh, for, for those on, more on the right and who are Christian, um, abortion, the topic abortion becomes a major deal. Unfortunately, it becomes a major deal for the majority of, of Christians every four years and only every four years, right? Uh, and, and, and there's not a lot of kind of work in the kingdom of like, what, what's going on that, cause, that, that creates these circumstances where um, children um, are being aborted? What, what, what's the whole systemic issues that we can be engaged in every year, every week in the kind of kingdom work? But because it's kind of like voting, it's like, well, the only thing I need to do is kind of vote today on this issue and then wait for another four years and hope that, you know, things go my way so I can legislate morality. Those that have been disenfranchised, right, like women, uh, I mean, African-Americans and other minorities, uh, I mean, in many regards, in America, that has been also equated with what it means to be kind of a, not just a citizen, but a full human being, right? So uh, being able to participate as a full human being, being recognized as, as a full human person um, in the United States is really important. And so winning that ability to vote and participate as a person um, is significant. Now, how you engage in that, I think, is, is do you see your vote as an act of coercion to get the minority to, to submit to the way you're, you're thinking? Or is that only just part of a larger argument that you're willing to kind of sustain for the common good? Not just for one's own good, but I vote for the common good. And a lot of us also vote just for our pocketbooks, right? So, yeah, so I guess kingdom politics invites us to daily participation and again, an imitation of Jesus our King. And then we should thoughtfully um, participate in elections uh, and, but recognize that when we do participate in elections, that also requires participation beyond the voting booth. Um, and I think, I think that's helpful. And, and then obviously recognizing that God also calls different people, I think, to participate in politics in different ways. Um, do you, like, would you agree then that maybe the idea of vocation, like some people are called to vocationally really devote their lives to politics and others to business or to law, um, and that might be a helpful way to understand it as well. Have you thought about that at all? I, and then well, we'll, we'll move on because I kind of want to go in a different direction. I, I, I guess then quickly, in regards to vocation, I think vocation is, I mean, is, is, is a calling to open yourself up to what God is doing in the kingdom. And, and that, that means, like you said, a manifold different ways that that can be expressed, right? So, so God, God is um, moving, not just in, in the church sanctuary on a Sunday morning, but working in all spheres of public life, um, all spheres of you know, family life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, one of the things that, one of the, the missions or, 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 or calls of the church is to help people understand what 
God is doing, what the kingdom of, of God is, is trying to kind of move towards, and then helping people open their lives to that, not necessarily seeking a career path, right? Sometimes we think of vocation as like, well, I'm going to choose this vocation or I'm on this vocational trajectory. Uh, vocation's uh, uh, an opening to a call, right? To what the, where the king leads, right? And so how, how that might be um, in national politics, local politics, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's really helpful. Thanks, Brian. Um, so wanting to shift gears a little bit, in my small group this summer, some people were in it, we talked about Jamie Smith's book, You Are What You Love. Um, and basically, his whole kind of thesis is that discipleship has to engage with your wants and desires. And, um, and discipleship has to like, change your wants and desires to be oriented towards Christ, to be orient, oriented towards the king. Um, and yet in this political season, I think there are also a lot of other forces that are trying to disciple us, um, whether that's media or, or technology or what have you. There's lots of forces that are orienting us towards something other than our King Jesus. And Again, he talks, Jamie Smith talks about how it's our habits, our habits and practices that actually shape and form our desires and what we love. So in this political season, what do you see as some deformative habits that, are, that we're practicing or that we might practice if we're not careful that are leading us away from our King, King Jesus? And what are some reforming practices that the church has that could help lead us back towards our King? Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, many years ago, when I was a student at Westmont in communication studies, uh, Greg Spencer had us read Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death, a great, a great book, still prophetic and, and still very helpful. And I think the way in which we've been formed in regards to politics around entertainment um, is significant which is why we love the memes, right? That's why we love, uh, in some ways, though we think the first debate of the president was um, a train wreck, the ratings were through the roof for any uh, political debates because we love train wrecks as Americans, because we love entertainment. Um, and therefore, because we've been so shaped by uh, kind of an entertainment culture, our public discourse has to be fit, it has to fit two minute sound bites, right? So you're given two minutes to talk about, you know, the environment, two minutes to talk about uh, the economy. And then we think that's sufficient, right? Because we're just about sound bites and, and entertainment. And because of that, the way we've been formed in our political discourse in that way, uh, we, we don't pay attention to local politics, right? Uh, and, and, and we don't pay attention to, uh, I mean, there's not robust debate around the kind of 12 propositions in California. Um, there's not robust debate around the judges that some counties uh, will be voting for. There's not robust uh, things because that's just not entertaining. The media is not, not doing it. So we've been shaped to be entertained. I think that's one um, habit of ours in public discourse is that if it's not entertaining, uh, we're not going to engage, put in the time to kind of really think about, I think what's really important, local 
um, local elections. Because if you want, if you want justice, if you want criminal reform, and you want prison reform, you should have a good idea about what kind of judges you're voting in. But most of the information we have is a name, and that's it, right? And it's not being covered on the news because, again, it's not entertaining, but it's very significant to our common good, our, the life of our common good. Uh, other things is I think election cycles in the church have encouraged habits of passivity, right? So, so that we, we vote what we want to happen, right? But then once we vote, we're done. Uh, as if then we've kind of done our kind of civic responsibility. Um, and that's the way I think we've also been shaped in these things. Uh, one thing, and this is not necessarily politics, uh, but we mentioned, we talked a little bit about it before Nikki, um, well, it is politics, but um, COVID-19, right? So um, COVID-19 has shaped us in unique ways. And, you know, it's, some say all it takes to, to create a habit is, you know, less than a month, just around a month. Now we're seven months in. We're seven months in of practicing habits of inhospitality, right? And hospitality has always been a Christian virtue. Now that can be understood in really um, broad terms. Like this is, this, you are creating a hospitable space here at Zoom, doesn't mean face to face. But yet we've kind of sh shut down, locked in. What does it mean for that virtue of hospitality going forward that we've kind of drawn in because of, I mean, legitimate fears, but maybe those calibrations um, haven't been as, as well adjusted as they should be. So I think there's lots of habits and vices politically and currently uh, that we are, um, we're formed by, which maybe it's because we want comfort right? and, and, and we're afraid, right? And so fear and, and desire for comfort uh, always play a, a huge part in political life, but um, the kingdom of God, I think, pushes us, wants to push us away from that towards courage, hospitality, peacemaking, um, generosity. Uh, but I think we're often, because of fear, shaped in different ways. Accumulation, right? Let's hoard toilet paper. And there was a news article, I think, just this week about get ready to start hoarding again. And, 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 and all of these other, these, these, these vices, right? What we think of vices become virtues in this time is really uh, uh, something for us to be thinking about uh, in the church. I don't know if I answered that question, uh, Nikki, but no, you, no, you did. It. Yeah. So you highlighted some vices, and uh, can I? So and then, what then are some habits and practices? So I guess you said uniquely Christian hospitality and generosity and forgiveness. Um, like those are habits of the kingdom that we need to be practicing all the time but especially in the midst of, of an election season and this election season, like love for our enemies, love for people who disagree with us, love for people we don't understand, um, love for people we have contempt for, and forgiveness, forgiveness for people who have hurt us. Um, yeah, I think as a church, again, we have so many resources for a time like this. Um, and we have so much opportunity to be a witness which is incredible that forgiveness is a part of who we are that love for enemies is a part of who we are that coming together over communion over one table one body and unity 
is who we are. Like that's amazing. And so contrasting to, to maybe the habits that um, the national election is shaping us towards. Um, Amen, Nikki. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you, you answer your questions better than I do. No. <laughs> that's, that, that's spot on, right? That's, that's very Wesley too, right? I mean, when he was in his diary of 75, he says like, this is how you should vote. Uh, and he gives those kind of three steps. Um, was it vote without, like, don't sell your vote. I mean, don't, don't give it away as a reward. Speak no evil of any person that you vote against. And then third, take care that basically you love those who, who voted in a different way than you did. Right. So um, I think that's, those are really important habits. So we'll have time for one more question and then we'll go into a larger question. So I guess I'm interested, we talked a little bit about it, but feel free to unpack it more. Are there any scripture passages or books of the Bible that you have been going to during this time for reformation, for reforming your heart? Um, or that have been particularly instructive or challenging for you that you can share with us? Uh, I, think, I think the book of Samuel is interesting to read right now. I think uh, the book of, of Daniel um, is, a, is a book that's uh, interesting to read right now. I think the Gospels, uh, um, uh, any of those are really important because they, they, they're talking about um, what it means to be a citizen in, in God's kingdom and talking about the, the coming reign of God and the rejection of God's reign. Um, Jeremiah has been really uh, important as well um, for me, kind of navigating not just the politics, but um, COVID, racial injustice, um, this, the closing of, of Sunday worship, right, down uh, of these things. I think that's there's been... Um, insight into reading the prophets during that time. So I think it, reading the scriptures and understanding the narrative of God and, and God's kingdom also helps us narrate our own lives in these times, right? Because if we don't know the, the narrative, right, if we don't understand the drama that we're in and participating in, we can easily get, become anxious and get try and write ourselves into a, a national drama, right? Um, or even a COVID drama, right? Um, where we are in control of the narrative, where we are, I mean, are trying to kind of fix things or, or just despair because we can't fix things or whatever. Um, and then our doctrine of providence becomes, uh, of, of God's care becomes like, God is God causing this right now or God causing that, but, but a, a narrative view of God's providence, which is tied in this kind of large drama and understanding where this story is headed and how we're participating in it in the midst of COVID, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of kind of racial injustice that's systemic, in the midst of, I mean, a crazy election. We, we have confidence in God's care for us because the way in which we understand the story the long story and where it's headed. And that's, I think that's tremendously hopeful for the church. That's something we should be helping others understand um, so that uh, we don't get just trapped in fear that 
the world's being turned upside down or this is a second count. I mean, different way, different expressions like that uh, because we don't know the long, the long story and where the kingdom um, is headed. So I, I, th I think those, just getting a breadth of the scriptures and being able to narrate that story well, um, but Samuel, Daniel, and the gospels, is, are, those are not bad places to be you know, reading. That's, that's really helpful. And again, for people who maybe haven't been rehearsing the story or maybe the story is a little bit murky for them, what is at the end of the story? What are we looking forward to? What is the culmination? Can you remind, remind us, Brian? Because um, we might have forgot. Yeah, I, I, well, maybe it's, uh, it's healing and wholeness. It's shalom. It's the lamb who was slain on the throne, right? Um, it's Jesus. <laughs> it, 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 and you participate, and that, that's the thing. It, it, it's coming, but when you're serving and, and ministering, there's these flashes, even in the Eucharist, right? In, in communion, there's these flashes of the kingdom is in breaking now. And, and there is these glimmers of healing, and hope and justice. And those are kingdom moments that remind us and give us hope that this is gonna be completely fulfilled. This will be, uh, the tears are gonna be gone, right? Um, and that's what we're reminded of every time that we have these kind of little, little glimmers, right? These little inbreakings of the, of the kingdom, that there will be shalom, um, there will be love, there will be forgiveness. Uh, and, and we can participate that and experience that in little ways now um, as, as followers uh, of the Messiah. And, and there's, it's not all here, but you, you can smell it. Thank, thank you, Brian. I think orienting our hope towards our salvation, towards the inbreaking kingdom, and also the hope that there is life after death, that we will have resurrected bodies, that God will dwell with his people forever. Um, these are, yeah, this is theology. This is our faith that grounds us during this time. Um, so we can actually enter into some Q and A. Um, so if anyone has a question, feel free to raise your hand, or if you're more comfortable submitting it through the chat, we can do that. So I did see, so I did see uh, one question through the chat and then we'll go to you, Ray. Um, as, so as much as we want to be hopeful in God's kingship, we are still called to be advocates for the marginalized, marginalized. How do we balance the urgency of the need to take care of others and the hope of the fulfillment of the kingdom? Is, is, is that tied to voting? I didn't see it here voting in there, did I? Sarah's, I guess, nodding her head. So I, I, in some ways, um, I hope we're doing that on a daily basis, right? Or in some ways, right? And that our communities are, are already in these kinds of practices that um, they don't begin or end with an election cycle. Um, I hope that we're part of those arguments and public spheres with our, with our representatives that maybe can change laws or write new laws. Um, 
I think in a in a local election in our in well in the national election, looking at what the local issues are, if if you have concerns around prison reform, you should be looking at the, diff, the various propositions uh, around prison reform and, and even voting reform for those on, on parole. Uh, you should be paying attention to those things and having conversations about those things. Um, but you should also be, uh, I mean, engaged in the kind of kingdom work that, that Santa Barbara uh, I mean, Church is doing already and, and in, in serving the least of these, right? Serving the poor, serving the marginalized, standing with them, um, advocating. Those practices um, are pr part of the kind of the day in, day out life of, of, a, of a Christian community. Um, and they inform your vote. Uh, but as they inform your vote, uh, I think, like Nikki mentioned, um, the habits of loving those who voted differently than you and maybe a minority um, voting wise or a partisan minority, depending on what the election goes on, how it occurs, those types of things have to be considered as well. How do you, there are lots of people, um, even in partisan elections, that seem marginalized, feel marginalized. Right? It's not, it, and, and how as Christians should we respond to that? So Ray, you had your hand up? Very simple question. I wondered if you could give us a reference for Wesley's three rules of voting. It, his reference is, it's in his diaries. I have it here. It's October 1774 in his diaries. And this is what, this is what, this is what he says. Is, um, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. And maybe I can cut and paste that um, in a chat or something like that so you can have the text. But I think it's it, 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 sort of post all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I did see uh, Gail Wallace um, here uh, at the Azusa Free Methodist Church. She had posted a little banner with that as well. So it is, it's circulating, but not enough. <laughs> uh, I, I did have another question. Richard Hughes critiques sort of the current state of, of the evangelical church. I don't know if you know him or not. Um, and he bemoans the state. He said, we've sort of lost our way because we have biblical illiteracy in his example. He's a professor of, of, uh, of the Bible. And he said, for example, when he is in class and asks his students, um, how many of you know the book of Amos? And nobody raises their hand for years and years on end. If we have historical ignorance, We've lost track of what's going on in, in the history of the church, so we're sort of adrift right now. And then we've lost, you know, then he points to Mark Knowles, uh, the scandal of the evangelical mind, where we were, we're not ready to think critically. It, it, touching on sort of, let's entertain me, don't make me think too hard. And I just wondered if you had 
reactions to those kind of things? Are there, are you seeing that in your teaching or? I've seen that in my own life. Um, <laughs> uh, I think. I think, I, I think that has a lot to do with how we respond politically. If, if we're not grounded in, in, in scripture, not grounded in the history of the church, then we get worked up and think politics is much more important than it is. Yeah, I think you're right. I think knowing the narrative, right? Being confident in, in the narrative, the drama, the Christian drama of creation, kind of fall, um, Israel, Jesus, and then kind of the church. And then uh, the eschaton or the fully realized kingdom, knowing that kind of our place in that drama and, and understanding what's gone before us and so that we know how to be faithful in this kind of this segment that, of the church drama where we're not given a script to live out, but we, we know how to improvise well given only if we know, the if we're literate in the history, right? If we, if we understand how the church in the past has done this, how, how scripture shows we should live in these types of ways, then we know how to kind of improvise with confidence that God is going to kind of wrap up this, this story um, in the ways that he's promised. So yes, knowing, knowing the stories, um, being able to articulate it, and, and, and that's part of the mission of, of, of the church, right? Of, of the church communities is, is constantly telling the story, telling the story so that uh, we understand the story we're in and, and aren't tempted to write our own story or have somebody else write our own story, right? Yeah, go ahead, Pat. All right, thank you. Um, it was uh, great to hear about Wesleyan rules of voting uh, in the 1770s, which interestingly coincides with the founding of our country. And the uh, initiation of the American tradition of separation of church and state. Then I was thinking about what you had talked about earlier about you know, the church being essentially a political body. So how can we, um, you know, uh, work that or look at that uh, with you know the American tradition and uh, this idea of a political body and I think the founders instinct to avoid a theocracy which sometimes seems to be popping up in some of the uh, political discussion that uh, I think you had indicated that, uh, at the very beginning was kind of an unraveling or creating a lot of conflict with a lot of different people? So I, I, it's, it's, it's a good question. I think it's, try, what, how do we live as kingdom people and Americans, right? Not ignoring that we're Americans, I think is what, you, kind of what you're getting at, right? In a nutshell, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think, as, as Americans and those of us who are, are citizens, and I think in the last discussion with uh, Professor Covington, uh, there was this kind of sense of responsibility, citizen responsibility that he mentioned when I was watching it later. Um, I, I think there is a responsibility in some ways to, to think about how one should use that vote in, in ways that maybe not 
fully or totally uh, advance kind of kingdom principles, right? So, so that can be interpreted in different ways in, in regards to voting. But in regards to kind of a public de democracy is the church as an institution, and all institutions have kind of been, you know, are, people are skeptical of, uh, and they're suspicious around kind of institutions. But as an institution, the church has um, the ability to remind people about kingdom issues like the poor, right? The least of these, injustice things. And, and even when it's not an election cycle, it's, it's the role of institutions, Christian universities and universities in general is to continue the argument, regardless of what the vote was made, is to continue to have an argument around the common good. And the kingdom has a, a claim on that. And so when we, we continue to press in on those, we continue to press in on our leaders that are kind of politicians, uh, but we don't, allow, we don't allow our or their action to determine what ours will be. We, can, we still are called to do um, kingdom work. And, and, and that does not mean that we need to have political power. Right? That's the... That's the opposite of what the disciples had, at least, at least national or, or state political power. Right? Kingdom work is, is, is like that mustard seed. It's, it seems hidden. It's, it, it's, it's power and weakness. It's having a conversation with someone who, who's lonely or a conversation with somebody who, who's been neglected and spending time. Uh, in kingdom work, that that's it's not glor it's not glorifying, it's not uh, necessarily exciting, it's definitely not entertaining, but it's good, right? But it's good, um, and it's probably not safe um, and risky. So I think the virtues of of hospitality, of, of courage, uh, generosity, peacemaking, um, that's our politics, and we and and as a people together, not on not just individually, but as a, as, as a church, we think, okay, how can we continue to build uh, the virtues uh, around hospitality in, in our community? How can we build the virtue of, of, of generosity? How can we, et cetera, in our communities to build up the common good and, and continue to have the argument? So that's kind of a, um, a broad answer, but it kind of gives, it gives you at least an idea of where I land or how I might answer that as, as being an American citizen and also um, a citizen primarily of the kingdom. Thank you very much. That was a great, I, it helps me a lot. Any other questions or comments? Brett, if no one has, I might ask one that we didn't get to. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have any further thoughts on what role fear is playing in the election and how we as Christians should respond to that? I, I, I think we touched a little bit about on that. I think, uh, you know, one side's going to uh, use COVID um, and uh, biological health um, or biological life as, kind of, as one way to kind of get you afraid. One's going to one side likes, we'll talk about economy and, and, and comfort as another way to kind of make you afraid. 
um, there's, there's, there's always, it's not that, I mean, fear is an emotion and fear really sh can it be helpful in showing you what our loves are, what our loves are, right? Because, um, without it, um, you, there, there really isn't any sense of love, right? So, so fear reveals your, your greatest loves. Um, but then that also is an opportunity to make one evaluate where one's greatest loves lie. If I'm really afraid about this, what is it that I love that might be lost in the midst of this that I need to kind of either calibrate or, or understand appropriately. Right? Uh, Thomas Aquinas has some, uh, some interesting um, ways to calibrate fears. I, I read this book. I mean, this is, here's a plug. Following Jesus in a Culture of Fear by uh, Scott Bader Say. Um, and it's, it is, I mean, he's, he wrote it years ago, I think 2010. Um, but every, every page seems to, to, to speak to our age, <laughs> uh, even, even with, with some clarity. And I think it's a, it's a helpful read. If, if negotiating kind of our fears, um, can use some help. It, I think his his writing is helping in that. Um, yeah, I mean, does that it kind of touches on that question around fear? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think I think that's helpful. And um, a question I wanted to ask last week to Dr. to Dr. Covington is, yeah, kind of. Um, I don't know. People may be giving up if it if the election doesn't turn out how they want it to go. Um, but again, if, if our faith, if our allegiance primarily is to Christ, then no matter what happens in the election, like we will continue to be faithful in kingdom ways and there will be losses and, um, there will be grief on, on either side and we can't ignore that or disregard that. But at the same time, our vocation as Christians, our hope in a future, um, our allegiance to Christ does not change. And I just think we just need to continue to rehearse that as a church, um, whether you're on one side, whether you're on another side, like both sides, I think need to hear that. Yeah. And it involves fear and um, we don't have to be, we have to be afraid, afraid, like it's not discounting injustice, but um, in Christ, we, we don't have to fear. Yeah. And I think, for the church and this is what I mean, it's wonderful that you're having this discussion or these series of discussions because it's so necessary for us to be reminded of this right and 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 though not every uh, free methodist church or protestant church is going to be celebrating christ the king in november i i do think um in in such politically fractured nationally politically fractured times it, it's wise of us to kind of think okay how do we re kind of refound put us back on the base um of of where our where our hope lies and where we found it and and christ the king uh the festival that feast day is helpful in that uh, i was looking at the the liturgy of that and and the hymn it's a protestant hymn that they start out with is uh crown him with many crowns right and i think that hymn that's why i was i was listening to it earlier uh, this week that hymn is tremendously hopeful in these times right so so uh, as leaders as yourself as a leader nikki and, and others i mean colleen and, and 
and everyone. Trying to kind of understand, making our worship this kind of, in this time especially, a little bit more focus, a little bit more fun, I mean, founded on, on Christ the King. I don't think we're harmed by that. I only think we're, we're helped by that. Um, by, by singing songs that reiterate, like you said, you know, confessing that Christ is Lord, um, that Jesus is Lord. Those things, I think we're, as, 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 a, as a public um, call to remind the church who's divided on, the, on, on electoral politics that Christ is King. Amen. I think that's a great note to kind of end our discussion on. And um, just would love, Brian, if you could pray to end. Um, and if you have a word of blessing, you could pray that over our congregation as well. Um, and we're just so thankful for you to join us on a Saturday morning. So thank you so much. Yes. Um, these are the, I'll, I'll pray the intercessions for Christ the King Day. And, and I'll let that be our blessing in prayer. So let us pray to Christ the King. He is the firstborn of all creation. All things exist in him. Christ, you are our Savior and our God, our Shepherd and our King. Lead your people to life-giving pastures. Good Shepherd, you laid down your life for your sheep. Rule over us. And in your care, we shall want for nothing. Christ, our Redeemer. You have been made king over all the earth. Restore all creation in yourself. King of all creation, you came into the world to bear witness to the truth. May all peoples come to acknowledge your primacy in all things. Christ, our model and master, you have brought us into your kingdom. Grant this day, grant this day, not just on election day, but grant that in this day we may be holy and blameless before you. Father, we pray the prayer that you gave us, the Our Father, and remember that it is, it is thy kingdom come. Not the U.S. kingdom, not our kingdom, but thy kingdom come. And so that is what we pray. Father, thy kingdom come. Amen.